the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 35, recorded Monday, April 20th, 2015. Ceiling mic intervention. This is EdTech, the education-focused show brought to you by the fine folks at AV Nation. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. With us uh, this month is uh, Greg Brown from UCLA. Hello, sir. Hello, Tim. Hello, world. Hello. Very nice. That's a programming joke, unless you didn't get that. All right. Uh, Mike Tomei. Uh, and a bit optimistic for, for us, yes? Yes, it's a bit, it's a bit optimistic, <laughs> yes. Uh, Mike Tomei from, I always screw this up, Tomei AV. Correct. Tomei AV Consulting, yep. Hot dog. <laughs> um, and and uh, my buddy Ernie Bailey from UAMS. How are you, sir? I'm doing just fine. Uh, real quickly before we before we get started, I wanted to talk about Infocom, um, Infocom classes specifically. If you're not familiar with what Infocom is, Infocom is the uh, the pro side of AV. Their trade show, Infocom International, is the trade organization for uh, pro and commercial AV. They have their their biggest uh, U.S. event, uh, which is uh, in Orlando this year. It's it's typically in in June. This year it happens to be in Orlando, and Mr. Ernie Bailey will be teaching a couple classes. So, Ernie, what uh, which classes will you be hitting? Uh, I'll be doing one on uh, what was it? Uh, I just went blank. That's right. Uh, You've got one on lecture your, hall, making your lecture hall there interactive, which is actually the second one that I'll be doing. Uh, but we'll be talking about how to repurpose a lecture hall, how to uh, work with technology to make it more interactive, make it less of a lecture hall and more of an interactive teaching space uh, without having to tear it down and start over. You know, what, what can you do technology-wise to make that happen? And the other one is improving the AV support model. Is that the title, right title? Uh, that's what it says, yes. Something, something like that. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but we're talking about moving in, uh, a classroom support team from uh, SneakerNet to you know, uh, a fully functional proactive team instead of a reactive team. Uh, how to how to build your uh, AV support and uh, and and enhance your offering to your campus. Very cool. And you're also going to be doing uh, Infocom on campus uh, for you. It's just a short jaunt uh, to the east, over to Vanderbilt uh, in uh, in yes. Nashville. So, what exactly is is Infocom on campus? Uh, I can probably answer that question better after I do this because I've never done one of oh, Okay. Well, the reason I asked, we, there, last year, um, uh, Scott Tyner uh, from Bates College, who, who was on uh, right. the show for a long time, uh, did the same thing at MIT. He did okay. a couple presentations, and he, he did it last year as well. So. Okay. Well, uh, basically, they're going to be, I know they're going to be five presenters. We're going to talk about uh, technology in the classroom. My part is talking about uh, BYOD, and I'm talking specifically about uh, how as technology managers we support faculty more than anything else bringing their own device as a presentation tool hmm. whether it's in-house faculty or you know how do you work with the guest faculty how do you communicate with the other parts of IT to make it happen and uh, you know just what all can you do but that'll be on May the 21st uh, like you said at Vanderbilt University I'll be talking for about a half hour on that Okay, all right. Uh, and if you're interested in, in the classes, go to infocomshow.com. 
Commercialcreative.org, and you can sign up for Ernie's class. Uh, all right, uh, kick this one off from our uh, buddies over at Commercial Integrator. Uh, we're talking about pa- we're going to talk about PASS, Partner Alliance for Safer Schools. Uh, for those of you who attended the NSCA BLC in uh, late February, you got a short little uh, preview of this uh, from uh, NSCA head Chuck Wilson. But uh, PASS, uh, which is powered by Security Industry Association, SIA, and the uh, National Systems Contractor Association, NSCA, outlined their product agnostic guidelines for the use of electronic security and life safety equipment in schools, system requirements, documents, and training opportunities uh, at ISC last week. Um, Greg, we're going to start off with you on this one. Is this something – this is this – is t- Geared towards K twelve, uh, I I'll, I yes. should start off by saying that. Um, however, I look at these uh, at these guidelines. I look at the agnosticism of them, which you know, when it comes to control and it comes to standards like this, I'm a big fan of of, of being agnostic. Uh, is this something that we can take uh, in education in higher ed? You know, everything above twelve and start applying, or is it something where we need to see how they kind of how this kind of fleshes out? Uh, I think we could, but I don't think we will. Okay. Uh, I mean, we are we are infamously um, do-it-yourself, I think, on things like this in higher ed. And it is pretty clearly K through 12. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, I congratulate these folks for, for doing this. I mean, this is clearly a, a big area of concern, security like this. And... You know, it's it's an area right now where there's there's little or no ga- guidance and there are no standards. So I'm glad to see somebody stepping up and doing this. I think it's a good effort. Um, you know, whether it serves as a as a start of some avenue into higher ed, I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Um, I'd I'd love to see something much more on a higher ed scale happen. Would have loved to have seen Infocom jump into this, but I. You know, here again, I, I don't think uh, Infocom tends to understand higher ed very well. Really? But, um, yes. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm asking, I, I see, because I always felt, granted, I, I used to be a tech manager, I always felt that they did. I don't think they know how to market to higher ed. I mean, uh, let, let each one of us, I mean, does anybody above, or in your case, Tim, you know, in your previous job, how many people above you knew anything about Infocom? You know, uh, okay, they, that, that I'll give you that. So you're saying they don't know how to, ed. they don't know how to market to the people above you, the CTOs, the CIOs. They, they Correct. Yeah, they don't know how to make themselves applicable to anybody but the specific tech manager on the ground. Yeah. And and I think that's something they've not to fault them. I think they mm. have made efforts, but I, I I think that's something they have always and continue to struggle with. Right. So I give NSCA a, a, you know all the credit for jumping into this sort of market. I think it's a useful sort of thing. Okay, so let, let's let's take a little diversion here, and Ernie will come back to you with the actual question. But both you and Greg have been uh, the heads of the uh, Technology Managers Council with Infocom. How should right. they do it? How do they market to it? I mean, I'm, I'm not asking you to be a marketing genius here, but you know, how? Uh, what do you think is the best way for for a trade organization generically? You know, obviously we're talking about okay. Infocom specific here, but a trade organization generically to get to someone. That you know to get to the person that's above you that you report to, to get you know some of these standards and some of this uh, some of this momentum going. 
I've wondered that for many years because, you know, like you said, they they do a great job talking with technology managers and giving us what we need to train our staff. But there there have been attempts in the past to bring in our leadership, but they'll, you know, say we're going to have this course for your CIO, your CTO, for your CEO, and then they'll send it to us to take to them to invite to the show. And I don't think that's really the appropriate way to do it. I think they need to address it. Uh, I think uh, white papers and surveys and studies that they can present and maybe present through other organizations, you know, uh, through the professional groups that the CIO, the CTO, CEO, whoever deal with, uh, you know, what groups are they members of and how do they partner with those to provide information about Infocom? I think that would be the best way to do it because, you know, they're not going to listen with, listen to me or go with me to a trade show. I, I think Ernie is kind of really uh, hit on a big one there, the, the working with other organizations. That's not that's another thing that I think Infocom has really not done a good job with is collaborating with these other trade organizations. I mean, the people people around me and above me are are parts of all sorts of other, uh, you know, higher ed themed organizations. Right. And yet those people and the people in these organizations either have no idea who Infocom is or, oh, well, they're that that other organization that we have no contact with. You know, I think that would be a very useful thing to do yeah. and and not something they've done particularly well. Okay, so let, let's talk through this. Um, Are we getting off track here? I don't, you know what, it's it, <laughs> it's a Monday, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've had plenty of coffee. We're good, and I actually like that. This is a this is an important conversation. This part here, at least, I think so. Um, who is that then? And, and I'm asking because I genuinely don't know. Yes, I have some thoughts in the back of my head. Some some technology groups. Some some you know. Was uh, it the week before uh, Infocom? There's a a rather large trade show called Cisco World. Guess who the main sponsor right. of that were, of that trade show is? <laughs> but but it's it's you know it, it's bigger than than the U.S. Um, uh, Infocom. I don't know that's quite hit ISC numbers yet. I think it's about forty to fifty thousand. So it's on on the on the on the same realm of, of ISC. But it, it's it there will be more people there than at Infocom. Um, it's technology uh, specialists. Their CIOs. Their CTOs. There will be IT professionals. Uh, the only reason that I know about it uh, over the last few years is there are a couple of, of, of AV companies who have started getting into that world. Um, so you've got that. You've got last week in, in Vegas, you had NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters. Huge show. I mean, right. you were talking 100, uh, 100 plus thousand people. Um, Extron exhibits at that show. Sennheiser exhibits at that show. Harman International exhibits at that show. You know, there are a number of AV companies that will, that are there. A number of CTOs and CIOs will, will, were going to be at, at NAB. Um, you have CEA, which is the uh, Consumer Electronics Association. Again, they put on uh, CES, which is in Vegas every year in January. Much bigger show, a much bigger uh, organization than, than the uh, membership of Infocom. Are these the organizations? Or are we talking about some obscure name that maybe most of us haven't heard of, but they are in and of themselves, you know, large IT trade groups. Well, 
uh, Educause is a, a really large one that does a, a great job yes. kind of covering all aspects of IT departments. But is Educause, and, uh, isn't Educause, I'm sorry, Educause was at one point in, in conjunction with Infocom for at least a few years. Um, yeah, it was for a few years. It was and it wasn't. You know, there was a little bit of crossover. They tried to make it that way. They were not successful, really, because there wasn't enough overlap. Uh, Educause, you'll see more instructional design people and uh, senior faculty there, and they're not really interested. They're not wild like we are by the technology in the rooms. Uh, and that's what they, they saw Infocom as uh, the show floor. Uh, so... But yeah, it, but that would be a group to try to bring in and let them know that Infocom is more than just the, just the equipment; that it is a training and educational program. All right, go ahead, Mike. No, I was um, just going to say also that uh, I think it's tough too for Infocom because uh, AV departments don't necessarily always fall under uh, IT. Um, so you know they might. Be uh, targeting CIOs and um, you know AV departments in higher ed sometimes fall under library or facilities or um, other departments like that. So there's a lot of different people that they have to market to. So right. yeah, so yeah, I that's can see the challenge. That, that is valid. I, I, the one thing I, I will take a slight exception. I think the last time that they did a survey, something like eighty percent, eighty-three percent of responding tech managers said that that's the, that is the department that they fall under in right. some way, shape, or form, right? Um, yeah. I, I know in some uh, organizations I've de I deal with in St. Louis, um, even if they fall under library, library now is under uh, information okay. technology. Um, right. it, don't ask me how that makes sense. I just know that that's, that's what they do. So, yeah. yeah. Although the folks I have found who don't know what Infocom is or have a very shaky understanding of what Infocom is tend to be those outlying little out on their own AV groups doing their own thing that aren't controlled by an, AV, uh, an IT department and right. kind of, you know, controlling the Wild West on their on their campus and, and not, you know, often not collaborating or talking with uh, other campuses, too, and, you know, kind of being little islands onto themselves. So I, I think it's probably, I'm, I'm not going to question that statistic too much, but I think it's probably also the people that their surveys tend to find are the people that are part of, you know, right. big organized IT departments where there is uh, a knowledge of things like standards and industry organizations. Well, let me ask. Let me, this is a totally off off the rails now. Um, Ernie, you you've been involved yes. with Infocom for a long time. Uh, yes. How did you first hear about Infocom? Like when when was your when 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 did you first hear? When did you go to your first show? Uh, actually, my uh, predecessor and previous boss uh, went to it. Well, it was the national. It was NAVA, National Audiovisual Association. So it's been a while ago. <laughs> uh, that was back in the early '80s, and. Uh, he actually made it kind of difficult for me to attend my first show because uh, he attended one and got a job. That's how I got moved into the leadership role. But I had to uh, agree that I would not even look for a job while I was attending. 
my boss said, I'm not going to send someone every year and lose it. Well, you know, how often do you go to Infocom and not have somebody have I was going to say that. <laughs> I wasn't going to yeah. mention that because I think I was even offered one last year, but anyhow. Um, <laughs> it's supposed to be against the policy at Infocom, but. It's not like, never mind. That's it was at one, at one point, it, it was actually, you know, the only way you could hire someone at Infocom was through a, they had to go to a special booth, and you had to go there and meet them. Really? Yeah, well, what, yeah. 15 years ago, if you were a tech manager, you had to be escorted on the show floor yes. or something like yes, that? Yes, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, now you guys make up 30%. That, that changed about 15 or 16 years ago. Okay, that so. That changed when Randy Lemke came in. All right, so so Ernie's first one was actually Nava, which Google that kids. Um, that was yeah. that was, <laughs> was what Infocom was called before Infocom. Uh, yeah. Mike, when was your first one? How did you first hear about Infocom? The first show. Well, I, I first, first heard about it. Um, I was looking for uh, certification, hmm. and um, so ended up getting uh, the the CTS. Um, so that's kind of how I came to them, and that my first show I think was 2008 um, when. I had enough of a, a budget to actually go out to uh, to the show, um, but uh, that was a Vegas year. But yeah, I I originally went to them just because of certification, and then started branching out from there and realizing what else they offered. Really, um, before that, I just kind of thought they were the certification people, and that's it. So. All right, Mr. Brown, where where was your first one? My first one, I think, I, I don't have the badges hanging up right now, but I think it was 99 in Vegas at the Sands Convention Center. Wow. And I think <laughs> I, was, uh, I was just up there for a day, if I remember right. Flew in in the morning and left at night. Very tired. And um, I probably found out about it through, uh, through the magazines. I've always been a big reader, and, you know, even today I try and, try and read all the trade, trade rags out there I can. So yeah. that was probably how I found out about it. Probably about the same time I got my CTS too. Well, and I was in the same boat. I, I had just uh, it's been it'd been a few years, and I was a tech manager, a new tech manager. That my predecessor knew nothing about this, and I got invited to Infocom, weirdly enough, by by Extron. Uh, it was the year that they were in um, one of the years that they were in Anaheim, and Extron was having a class a couple of days before Infocom. And so I went out and took the class, and then stayed on for the, for the trade show. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just, it's one of those roundabouts where you you either learn from it from somebody who knows, or you like Mike does, you know, you go out searching for yeah. some sort of a certification. Uh, all right, let's let's wrap this back around, Ernie. Um, the 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 pass um, standards. Is this something that we can as as tech managers, whether it's us or or the people above us? Something that we can take and start putting into place uh, on our campuses for mass notification, or do we need to, to see how this kind of plays out in K-12? Well, I think, you know, we have uh, different dynamics in that, you know, we don't have all the students in a more confined, in a confined area like you will see in K-12. through You know, we're, we're a multi-building uh, campus. Uh, and I th you know most most universities are most higher ed is, uh, so you've got a lot more open spaces and different things to deal with. As far as you know, do we do it? I I think we should be part of it. Uh, 
we have not been on our campus. It's completely separate, and a lot of that has to do with insurance issues and regulations. You know, do we want the uh, accountability and the re and uh, the responsibility of providing that as part of the AV systems? I've got some older systems. When we first started looking at mass notification, or you know, that was just you know. Uh, PA systems throughout the hallways. We did tie in some classrooms, and if the fire alarm went off, it automatically turned on the lights in the room and switched the sound system over to the paging system. Uh, that was as far as we went with that. Uh, with all the new stuff, you know, with looking for active shooters and any other disasters, uh, I mean, AV is a is one of the tools that should be used, you know, uh, Microphone speakers, uh, digital signage, things like that can easily be brought into play. But does it need to be part of the AV support model? I don't know about that. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different ways you can go with that, and we've talked about it. Uh, but we've kind of let the security people handle it. And we work on it as a kind of as a consultant to them on you know this is the technology that you can use, but we're not really part of the operation of it. We may do some implementation, but let them operate it, maintain it, and be responsible for it. Okay, no, that's valid. Uh, speaking of consultants, Mr. Tomei, uh, put your consultant hat on and and uh, consult these two tech managers. Uh, is this something uh, from your experience that you would, you would suggest um, either through the design process or, or initially, hey, this is something that you guys might want to take a, take a look at, or is mass notification really a, a separate thing where maybe you guys uh, can augment their knowledge base, but really it's it's somebody else's deal? Yeah, so I, I agree with Ernie. I don't think um, AV departments want to own the, all of this. Um, you know, they'll be involved with the process and, um, you know, integrate their systems. But I think it's more of a facilities uh, ownership. Um, I, don't, I don't see AV people wanting to um, take the helm in this one and um, it, you know it's it goes in hand in hand with the security systems and that sort of thing so um, I think it's great that they put this together though for K through 12 I'm sure K through 12 it's hard I mean money's always tight with K through 12 and um, having um, standards and guidelines for them so that they don't feel like they're wasting the money and going down the wrong path uh, is a good thing so I think this is really, really good, but um, but it's tougher in higher ed. Um, I don't think it really falls into AV's lap to really own it and and design the systems. Okay. Right, that, uh, oddly enough, you know, or appropriately enough, we we had a shooting right off of campus about five o'clock Friday, and. Uh, I, I know because I, I found the uh, emergency messages here in my email and I came in this oh, morning. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So speaking of good working security systems. <clears throat> yeah, but that, that's UCLA and you guys don't have any money for anything. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, from our friend Margaret Iwahi at AV Technology, 12 quick ways to improve audio in classrooms and learning spaces. Uh, Margot actually pinged an awful lot of, uh, of integrators and uh, uh, manufacturers for this. She even put in one hers herself. Uh, her favorite uh, idea is making sure you have a darn good uh, podium microphone. 
things like uh, acoustic treatment, um, speaker placement, things of that nature. So I'm going to ping you, gentlemen, and say, uh, don't give me 12 or 13, just give me one or two. Uh, Ernie, what's your best way to improve audio in the classroom? I'm going to go with, you know, the quality microphones, both for the students and for the instructors. Uh, I look at this, and uh, a good bit of this is what I'll be talking about uh, for uh, making your lecture hall interactive. Uh, so Marco this, stole your presentation? No, <laughs> she, she enhanced it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hate when that happens. I, I, I yeah. love when that happens. Uh, but, I mean, we're... Looking, you know, looking at several things, you know, uh, in the lecture halls that we're upgrading, we're putting in the conference mics with little speakers. Mm -hmm. We're putting one mic. She says no more than two people per microphone. We're doing it three, and they just that has a lot to do with how the uh, table is laid out and where I can put the microphones. Uh, still have room for students to put laptops down. Uh, so, you know, we're I'm looking at that, and we've. All of our new lecture halls, we do have recharge. We do have charging stations for our wireless microphones. So, I mean, I think this is a, a wonderful uh, infographic. Uh, it provides the information uh, that you need out there. And like I said, it's it's what we'll be talking about in, in my class. Part of the stuff we'll be talking about. And of course, an ADA system is always a requirement. Oh my gosh, yeah. We're, uh, we're even putting that in our smaller classrooms. You know, you're. You don't have to until you get to a certain number of seats, but we're deciding if we're, any room we integrate. I mean, it's not that expensive. Uh, it's a wonderful tool. Uh, you know, uh, if you do end up with students that need it, uh, this way we don't have to carry a, a transmitter around when they go to small groups. You know, we put them, they're obviously in all of our lecture halls, but uh, putting them in the small rooms I'm finding is very helpful and gives us an additional tool and, that we can use. Was that a decision that you guys made as a group, or was that something that, that came about as a, as a larger discussion? We did it uh, just as a group. The AV group decided, you know, while we're doing this, you know, why don't we? It's it's not, once again, it's not difficult to put in. It's not expensive. Uh, we're not providing receivers for every room. We have enough receivers for the number of students that we have. Uh, and then it's easy, it's easy to add more uh as we need them. Uh, we can support our large lecture halls. If we have a guest speaker and we have a large audience, we have, a, we have enough uh, to meet the uh, industry standards to take care of whoever comes in. So, But uh, we do timeshare them. Very good. All right, Mr. Tomei, uh, from your standpoint, what's, what's one or two things that, uh, that you can do to improve the audio in a classroom or learning space? Yeah, so um, one big topic that always comes up with classroom audio is um, are ceiling mics adequate? And same with meeting spaces, too. Are ceiling mics adequate? Um, I feel like ceiling mics are almost like, like an addiction. They're easy to spec because they're installed out of the way, um, easy for integrators to install. But um, I just know that I won't like how they sound in the Amen, long Amen, brother. Um, you know, it's... <laughs> Friends it's like don't a, let a friends still install ceiling mics. Hey man, we need an yeah. intervention. Yeah, yeah. It's they're always like a, a good enough option, which is an approach I hate to take. Um, so uh, I feel like getting away from the ceiling mics and looking at other options like table miking um, is always the way to go. And um, yeah. I think people should always focus on that. Another thing that stood out to me was um, 
that uh, room acoustics need to be addressed before any talk of audio equipment begins. Uh, if you have a atrocious room with um, concrete walls and a concrete ceiling and concrete floor, uh, you could put the best audio equipment in there and it's still going to sound like a mess. So, yeah. um, so I always try to focus on that during the uh, early design stages. Yeah. Can I step in on the ceiling mics? I pretty much agree with Mike, but there, we do run into some situations where that is the only solution. You know, yeah. maybe you've got movable furniture that you have to deal with. Right. Uh, or, you know, you're uh, renovating an existing space. I've got electric hall we're going to renovate that, uh, you know, it has fold-up tablets, uh, a tabloid desk for students sitting there if they want to set their book or laptop. It's not real convenient. And there's no way I'm going to work out the wiring system and put a microphone on those. So, you know, we'll end up with a little tennis ball mics scattered around the room. But there, I will say there's some better ceiling mics coming out. Well, I, that we're seeing. Ernie, Ernie would, would it be better to do that? They have only one direction they can go. Go ahead. Go ahead. They have only one direction they can go, Ernie. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Ernie, would it be better to do that as opposed to maybe wireless? I mean, you've already got a, a good cadre of wireless uh, in, on campus. Would it be better to do that as opposed to a ceiling mic? Uh, I haven't found a, an adequate. These, these are for large number you know, large, larger rooms. So I would end up having to have uh, probably 30 to 40 wireless devices in there. And uh, when we did the lecture halls that you just uh, programmed for us, uh, we actually talked to the several manufacturers and they couldn't come up with anything that could give us the number that we needed in those rooms. We ended up putting table mics in those rooms, yes. of course, but... Uh, we even looked at a way to do wireless table mics. Uh, you know, we some of our le larger lecture halls we do have wireless handhelds, and we provide runners. Or AV does not provide runners. We provide microphones for people to take them and you know do the uh, old Phil Donahue yeah. deal. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right, uh, Mr. Brown. From your standpoint, uh, what's one or two things that you can do to improve audio? Not use ceiling mics? Well, there you go. <laughs> Leave Ernie alone. No, don't get me wrong. I, I love ceiling mics. I love the way they swing back and forth in the breeze from the air conditioning register that they are inevitably placed next to. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think if... Um, it, was an, it was an interesting list, but I think if more than... Two or three of these uh, come across as a, oh, hey, that's a great idea to the person playing with your classroom audio system. They should not be playing with your classroom audio system. Yeah. So I'm you're saying that this is an elementary list? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Nothing wrong with an elementary list. I'm just making sure that we... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm not saying they were short of pages that month. But... <laughs> hey! <laughs> wow! I, I should, All right, moving on. Speaking, I, lo we'll, I love AV <laughs> technology. I, I undoubtedly have a copy of it right here behind me. We, so. I don't doubt that yes. you do. And Margot will be yanking your your 
a subscription I, today. Yeah, I, <laughs> yes, I've, I've, it's, it's not free time. anymore. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not free for Mr. Brown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's let's beat up on her some more. Uh, <laughs> six tech trends uh, that will be higher ed's new normal. Actually, this this is really cool. Uh, obviously, Flip Classroom, which is already here. Uh, BYOD, which is also already here. Then she goes into two uh, midterm and long term. In other words, you're looking at the next uh, three years and then five plus years. Makerspace uh, and wearable technology. Uh, Apple just released the fact that they have over one million pre-orders for the their new watch. Um, and then for long term, you're looking at IoT, which I would take some issue with her and, and say that that's more of a short or midterm. Uh, and adaptive learning techniques. Um, Greg, since you're um, uh, wanting to help right? out uh, AV technology, what's a couple of the things that, that's going to be our uh, in our wheelhouse? I think these are all interesting, um, but we're going to be all over the map as far as when these are, um, when these take hold. I, I think I agree with you that IoT has some interesting possibilities in the shorter term, and um, maker spaces, I know somebody, I, I know a group on campus that's about to sink a whole ton of money into uh, 3D printers and start offering that as a service here on campus. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like with most things in higher ed. Some of us are going to be doing this stuff in a couple months, and some of us will be looking to do these things when we're doing this show 10 years from now. We're going to still be doing this show 10 years from now? Wow. <laughs> okay then, uh, Ernie. From your okay, standpoint, of our own success. Oh yes. Uh, I've, I've got to agree with Greg. You know, we are. That we'll be doing the show in ten years. Uh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, we've already flipped classrooms. Uh, we have BYOD. As I said, I'm talking about that next month at Vanderbilt, uh, and how we make it easy for the instructors. Uh, the others, I mean, the Internet of Things, like you said, we're already seeing it. It's it's just continuing to grow, you know, uh, whether it's in the workplace or at the home. Uh, you know, I, my refrigerator is not online yet, but I'm sure my next one will be. Mm -hmm. uh, but anything and everything, I can uh, check my security system uh, here on my uh, smartphone, make sure my house is secure if we're gone. Uh and when I'm at home, I can check on things here at work. I can check on individual classrooms and devices in the classrooms, whatever I need to do. Uh, so uh, Internet of Things is there. Uh, the maker spaces, we're not seeing that so much uh, here in, in the health science industry, but I do see it growing uh, on university campuses. Uh, that, that could be pretty scary in a medical center. Yeah, it could, but I mean, we're seeing similar Bye. things in, in some of our research areas, but it, it's not touching the the classroom and the teaching spaces that I'm dealing with. It's alive. Yeah, it's it. alive. Yes. It. All right, uh, Mr. Tomei, from your standpoint, what's, uh, what's a couple of uh, other technologies that's coming down the pipeline? Well, I think that the Two um, short-term tech trends that they mentioned, flipped classrooms and BYOD, are obviously here, but I don't know that people are really doing them very well. Um, what I've seen from the flipped <laughs> classrooms are the, the active learning um, environments that people are trying to install. I mean, it seems like higher ed 
higher ed's big goal right now is to redesign learning spaces. And um, it's usually, once again, kind of the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So somebody will really want some technology in a classroom. They end up, you know, shoehorning a, a lot of technology into these active learning rooms, and they're not used for um, for the purpose that they were built for. Um, so I feel like people, you know, they're here, but um, people really need to spend a lot of time in the needs analysis stage um, with instructors and professors to really find out how they want to teach versus the direction that administrators might want those spaces to go in. Um, same with BYOD. It's um, that's a tough one to really cover every um, iOS and Android and Microsoft uh, device that's going to come in there and and um, handle it really well. So I think um, that that's a tough one that people are doing right now, but there isn't really a nice standard for that. Um, what do you, so those are still going to be? Do you do you need a standard? Sorry, Mike. Do you do you need a standard for that? I mean, is it one of those things? This may be too simplistic on my part, but where you go, okay, what's the market? Um, you know, what's the market saturation for X, Y, and Z device? Well, okay, so Android and iOS are the two main um, two main operating systems for mobile. Yep. Okay. Uh, Microsoft is the main operating system for laptops. Okay. So as long as we get those three covered, who cares if they're running Linux or, or you know, uh, Symbian? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, once again it's just the needs analysis stage that you have to figure out what your instructors are bringing in there or students are bringing in, and um, you sometimes just have to go with the majority rules on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, last article here. It's, it's kind of silly, but it's it it it's worth noting or, or at least worth uh, asking the question. It comes from the journal, uh, thejournal.com, and they ask the question, "How fast does your internet have to be?" And there's a reason I'm asking this question. I'm getting ready to go uh, next week uh, to a conference called TSNA. It is put on by Avenue Alliance. Uh, if you're not familiar with Avenue Alliance is, if you've ever heard the term AVB, Audio Video Bridging, this is their next iteration. TSN uh, stands for Time Sensitive Network, uh, and it is the next generation, the next evolution of AVB. Uh, you've got that going on. You've got audio and video and now control, uh, which is where the TSN stuff comes from. Uh, going on the network. Then you've got this little resolution called 4K. I don't care which version of 4K, whether it's 2K or up all the way up to the to the 5K version. Um, you're going to start pushing things um, in the gigabit network uh, area. So, uh, Mr. Tomei, we'll start with you, Mr. Consultant. You're going into a a, a campus today, and you're starting to talk about. You know, they want everything on the network. Great, groovy, awesome. And you tell them they all all they need is a 56K modem. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, it's. I feel like on college campuses right now, um, the network speed is big, but wireless coverage is a bigger problem for them. And yes. network groups are, are focusing almost exclusively on wireless coverage. And um, so... People might not even notice slow network speeds because they can't even connect to wireless access points, or have any sort of you know decent connection speed when buildings are full of students with uh, lots of different devices. Um, so yeah, it, no doubt um, it's going to be a problem trying to place all these uh, AV signals, you know, through AVB and everything like that on these networks that are already crushed when um, when it's 
peak, you know, class time. All right, Mr. Brown, from your standpoint, um, is that is that do you concur? It's more more about the wireless than the as than is the actual wired speed. Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, we have very fast connections to the desktop here, uh, but uh, but we don't have wireless yet in every place on campus or in all the classrooms. So, yeah, that's still the struggle here too. All right, uh, Ernie, from you, you too. Uh, I have to agree uh, as well, and you know we are pretty well uh, wireless from uh, end to end on our campus. We have been for years. That's one thing we have done. Uh, I don't know that we've always done it well, but, but we do provide wireless. Uh, I was in a meeting one time with our CIO, and we were sitting in a classroom, and we had people connecting to uh, the support center that we were dealing with, we were demonstrating some equipment, and she about had a fit when realized that uh, the person with the wireless connection was getting through faster than the, the wired computer that had been provided by her department. <laughs> <laughs> you know, end to end was provided by, by them as well as the wireless was, and the wireless was, was going much faster. Wow. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think... Uh, being able to handle the saturation uh, of devices, you know, it used to be, you know, you expected one one device per person was going to be the max you were going to see. Well, you know, now we're looking at three or four devices per person in a classroom. Yep. You know, their laptop, their pad, iPad or tablet, their smartphone, their watch, their glasses, uh, you know, whatever else uh, is all connected. And, you know, can you handle that saturation? And an issue we're running into is a student will decide to drop their phone down and set a and create a hotspot in the middle of the classroom. Yeah, that interferes with the wireless network uh, to some extent. I don't fully understand how, but I know our IT people scream and holler about our network engineers uh, scream and holler when that happens because it it affects what they're able to do in the classrooms. Hmm. Uh, so. I mean, they even fuss, you know, we pick up uh, cars with hot spots built into them driving right next to a building, and we see fluctuation in the wireless patterns that we have when that happens. So uh, I don't know that as much as how much speed do you need uh, as it is to uh, how much bandwidth do you need, uh, you know, and can you handle everything that's coming across at one time? Uh, and I mean, we're not uh, looking at uh, AVB across campus. We're looking at it maybe within small sections, and we're creating an AV network that then has one connection to the campus backbone. Yeah. Uh, so we can talk to it, but we're not trying to run video or audio from room A to room Z. Uh, Oh, you know, fully over the network through the switches. If we're going to do that, we're going to go through uh, a video conferencing codec or something like that, or we will stream it and make it one way. That makes sense. Well, I think still largely isn't AVB AB? Primarily, yeah. I mean, they still don't have... Yeah. Um, they still don't have it's a not, video not codec. Not a lot of V and AVB. What? There, no, there's well, there's, at least... there's get, you're starting to see more, I think. Uh, and, you know, with the AV... AVB certified uh, network switches, 
that you can ask your uh, network engineers to put in throughout campus are very expensive, and are you going to be using them? You know, I don't right. think you can ask our network engineers to do anything, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> they, they know everything already. <laughs> I, I feel so sorry for Mr. Brown and UCLA when it comes to that, guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, guys, that's going to do it. Uh, Mr. Mike Tomei, thank you so much, sir, for, uh, for joining us. Great. Thanks uh, for having me. Where can people find you? Um, going to my website is the best way to do it. It's tomeiav.com. It's T-O-M-E-I-A-V.com. All right. Or on LinkedIn. Or on LinkedIn. Mike Tomei. Yep. Uh, Mr. Greg Brown from UCLA, thank you, brother. Thank you. And thank where can you people too. find you? Uh, LinkedIn seems to be the best way to find me. I seem to spend all evening answering emails on LinkedIn, and uh, mm -hmm. one of these days we'll have some more blogs out here at uh, Infocom's All Voices blog. All right, very good. Uh, and last but not least, Ernie Bailey uh, from UAMS. Thank you, sir. I've enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. And where can people find you? You can find me on LinkedIn as well. All right. And also at uh, infocomshow.org, uh, go sign up for Ernie's classes. Uh, or if you're going to the Vanderbilt uh, Infocom on campus next month. So, all right. Very good. Uh, my name is Tom Albright. Don't follow me, but go by the website if you would, please. Avianation.tv. Avianation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, just had a brand new uh, AV Crosstalk, which is a debate-style show. This month, it was Brock McGinnis and Leonard Susskind battling out over the value of design build versus design bid. It's a very interesting conversation. I'll just say that from being on both sides of that, uh, both <laughs> sides of that conversation. So, uh, but yeah, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. This has been EdTech.